Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. We are living in a world in which good stories about relationships between different ethnic groups, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere, or certainly in Israel, are heartwarming and also, I think, particularly necessary. And not that long ago, uh, I read about a program that a friend of mine, Denny Hakim, put together, which is a sports camp for Israeli Jewish girls and Israeli Bedouin girls. Uh, it came with a video, which we're posting along with this podcast for you to see, of these girls doing all kinds of sports activities together. And, you know, these are two parts of Israeli society that normally have exactly zero intersection, zero. And Danny was able to create a camp to bring them all together. And it just struck me as a beautiful, moving story that I wanted to actually get him on and have him tell us the story of how this came to be. Uh, Danny Hakim made Aliyah to Israel 20-something years ago. He is a two-times world karate silver medalist and holds a seventh-degree black belt from Japan, so he is a very serious athlete. He's the founder of Budo for Peace and Chairman of the Sport for Social Change. He's a board member of the Azraeli Foundation, the Maccabi World Union, and Kids Kicking Cancer, among others. Uh, in 2017, he was inducted into the Australian Maccabi Hall of Fame. In 2019, he was the recipient of the Bonet Sion Award for Culture, Art, and Sport. And in January of 2022, he was awarded the Order of Australia Medal for service to the international community. So exceedingly accomplished in multiple levels, in multiple ways. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for taking time out. I know you're just back from the States, so you're busy, you're tired. Uh, I really appreciate your taking time to talk to us today. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll get into the camp about uh, the girls for Bedouin, the camp for Bedouin girls and Jewish girls. How did you get into this whole idea of using sport as a way of building? Well, it started when I was really 13, actually before, when I was eight, I was in the Beitar youth movement. And uh, Jabotinsky uh, would say that we have to defend ourselves. Uh, that was very important. And then go to Israel and do whatever you can do. That was when I was eight. And then at 13, for my bar mitzvah, my grandmother gave me a bar mitzvah present, which is a one-year subscription to a karate club. She thought... This was no, in Adelaide? Was in Sydney. I was born in Adelaide, but I grew up in, in Sydney. Sydney. Okay. And uh, so okay. I went to these karate classes and I was good. And uh, then I ended up representing Australia and many uh, world championships. And while I was on the Australian team, it dawned on me that not only was I proud representing Australia, but I was also proud representing the Jewish community. And on the team were Turkish Australians and Iranian Australians. You know, it's multicultural, like the US. 
and we bonded. We were very close, and all of us were proud to represent both our communities and our uh, our country. And that bond of doing uh, martial arts and representing our country made sense. Why can't that model be adopted uh, in Israel? So anyhow, I ended up staying in Japan nearly 10 years. And there I was training with Iranians from Iran and Lebanese from Lebanon. And we all got on very well because, first of all, we were not Japanese. And that was a, a bond uh, in itself. So when I moved to Israel, I thought maybe I could use this idea of the values of martial arts, like respect, self-control, harmony within yourself and harmony with others, um, to create a type of movement. And then I was looking around to find Israeli Arabs and Palestinians and religious Jews with my poor Hebrew um, to bring them together. And that's how I started Budo for Peace. Budo is a Japanese term that means martial arts. It's not, so it includes judo and aikido and karate, all the different martial arts. And I started with just the Japanese martial arts and then went to, you know, the Korean and Brazilian and all those that wanted to join because they believed in this concept of using martial arts as a platform of bringing kids together. And then um, about five years ago, I decided to open the scope of uh, the idea of all sports and well-being for social change, and that's what I uh, created, the Sports for Social Change Coalition. And now we have a coalition of 18 organisations. We have uh, 30,000 kids in 380 locations, and it's a coalition of sports for social change. So it's not just sports for peace. It's also sports for women empowerment, sports for disabilities. Uh, you know, it's just it's not sports for competition and medals and glory. It's how to use sports as a platform to make a better country and society. And that's what I'm doing now. So you said you have how many how many kids involved in this? How well, many we have people 18 organizations and collectively we have 30,000 kids. Um, so you have 30,000 kids. What's the breakdown? I mean, how does it break down Jewish, Arab, Haredi, oh, not Haredi? Um, Bedouin, other Arabs, I mean, roughly. Roughly, um, we have over 50%, uh, actually 60% are Jewish. And uh, we have, I'm not sure between Haredi and uh, Arab, but uh, we have uh, over 30% Arab. So, and Haredi is in between because, you know, we count Haredi as Jewish, right? So, but, uh, and, and we're growing. This is the thing, the, the coalition we're now, um, you know, we could grow to hundreds of thousands if we have the Matnasim, I'm meeting them today. And it's really uh, something that uh, that's growing very quickly. So the idea of this uh, sports coalition, it was actually, the idea is to have the collective impact model where together we can, you know, learn uh, what's best practice, how to do a better evaluation system, and uh, that's the idea. And now uh, the Israeli Foundation has adopted uh, this program and uh, managing the coalition. So we have uh, good funding and good people that can manage it for it to grow. That's fabulous. I want to move our conversation a little bit to this 
really fascinating camp that you put together, a sports camp for uh, Israeli Jewish girls, teenagers, um, and for Bedouin girls. So here's the question. I mean, these two communities don't intersect at all. Tell me a little bit about how somebody like Danny Hakim, uh, an Australian Jewish guy who makes Aliyah, how does he go about finding people in the Bedouin community to trust you enough to give their daughters to this camp for about a week? I mean, how did this okay, whole process well, it happen? It started actually when, when I was looking for a Bedouin martial arts instructor uh, 20 years ago. And uh, I went to this uh, club in Beersheba, a Jewish club, and I asked, do you have any Bedouins? And they said, yes, there's this one guy named Chazem. He comes uh, regularly. He's got his black belt. And I said, well... Do you have his number? They said, no, we have no idea where he lives, but he comes on a Tuesday. So uh, <laughs> I decided to meet him, and then I went to his unrecognized village, and, uh, and he had his like, club, which was converted garage, and even till this day, they're not on the grid, so the, uh, their electricity is from his car battery and, at night, and... Uh, and I fell in love with them. And, and, and he's been with me for 18 years, uh, this Chazam Abu Kwedar. And, uh, and I go regularly to their village. And they've been to my home in Australia. And uh, it's a very personal relationship. And then um, a year ago, his wife, uh, Hanan, decided to... Uh, they both did a Wingate course to be, you know, course Le Madrachim. And uh, say, uh, just yeah. explain to our listeners what Wingate okay, is. Okay, well, it's the sports oh. academy, the national sports academy, and to be a qualified uh, uh, sports instructor, if it's aerobics or if it's karate, you have to do this course where you learn anatomy, physiology, and so Hanan did that, and she decided to open up in her backyard a, uh, a studio for Bedouin mothers. To be empowered, and I don't know if you know, but the Bedouin community, um, the mothers have three times the amount of diabetes than the national average, and it's horrific. And, and it's because of they have uh, they don't exercise and they don't eat well. So the intervention is quite easy uh, if you educate them to exercise. So this was a project, I'm thinking, how can we do this? Because it would make a very big difference for the Israeli medical uh, system. So she started this, uh, this studio, and she has 70 Bedouin mothers that go regularly. And that was the connection. So it was like 18 years of getting to know them and going to their village. And uh, in fact, last, uh, last Sukkot, they came to my home with their kids and uh, sat together in Sukkot. It's a personal relationship and that's the thing, you know, it's the people-to-people relationships where you can really make a difference and expand that, but it starts with the people-to-people. To tell you about how I got the Bedouins, I, my idea was through the coalition that there are many, you know, Arab and Jewish uh, uh, organisations and they are doing sports for social change. So I went to this one Arab organization, a Bedouin organization, they have a thousand kids doing sports. And I went to them and said, do you think you could send a few girls to this camp, the idea? And the head of the organization said, no way in the world. And I said, why? 
she said he said because it only takes one sheikh to say this is bad for muslim girls and his business would be ruined and he recommended that i don't do it in the south do it in the north and do it with boys you know uh, arab boys in the north are much more uh, progressive and that would work i said but but i want to do women empowerment <laughs> and that's the idea so then i uh, went to uh, my friend uh, hazam and hanan and i asked hanan do you think it's possible to have a few girls from the village to do come on this 10 day camp and she looks at me and says how many do you want so well i said well we want to start with 50 25 jewish and 25 arab uh, bedouin and she said no problem well well how big is the village there so how about many people 3000 the people that's all the same family they all have the same last name so you can imagine when i do roll call when i go there to the karate club uh, over 50% of the boys are mohammed abuqedar have the same name <laughs> but uh, so wow. yeah it's a, it's yeah and just out of curiosity as an aside it's not about the sports beats do they also marry within the same village or they marry other people a lot the of them marry within the village within the village sometimes outside so so that i'm sure also contributes to a complicated yes, health situation right. yeah. down the road Okay, but we're going to go back to the sports. So she asks you how many young women you would like. You said you wanted 25. She said yeah. no problem. And and and, uh, and I knew that she would be a very good uh, madrukha or leader. Um uh, and that was it, critical. Uh it wasn't like these kids were going to go to a Jewish camp run by Jewish uh organizers. So um she, that was critical that she came with another uh member of the tribe uh that would look after the girls so it would be kosher so it was very important and she really made it and i can tell you you know uh, uh, in the, my article the quote that she said that this is um how called nefesh she she said it in uh, in hebrew that this is really a, a spiritual work bringing bedouin girls and these girls really have never been outside their village so um so that's how we were able to get the bedouins um but it was hard to get jewish because it was really why is that for a number of reasons the first reason is that at camps in israel it's usually day camps a lot of kids don't go to well, this is a 10 day camp this is significant and i wanted a 10 days because we know from research that 10 days it's the minimum to have real impact it's not like you know Yeah by the way I think it's just important for our listeners to know that this whole notion of sleepaway camps which is so common yes. in America is very uncommon in Israel. I mean there are some of them but it is by definition not the norm. So you're talking about you know it's not the norm for Jews and Bedouins to be together but it's also not the norm for kids to go to That's sleepaway right. camp. So uh, it's a complicated uh, thing uh, on there's, there's an organization right. here called uh, Summer Camps Israel that Shona Goodman from Canada uh, created and that's their mandate is to try and make more and more uh, summer camps but minimum 10 days and uh, so i actually went with shona to the village and uh, and she was very impressed that we could get bedouin girls so how did you end up getting the jewish girls since there there's not like a one tribe so i i thought we would get together. them through the coalition them? because there's a lot of kids but it was like it was only like uh, two months before summer and a lot of them had 
already uh, it was too late for a lot of them so we just sent out personal notes to all the Jewish people that we knew that could be interested and we ended up getting 18 um, but from everywhere and religious Jewish you know from Jerusalem from uh, Tiberias they came and it was a real risk because this is our first year it's 10 days and it was with uh, Bedouins and uh Probably the hardest thing for them was that we didn't allow the cell phones. And, you know, these days kids that don't have their cell phones, uh, it's very difficult for them. And uh, But it really helped create stronger bonds because they had to look at each other in the eye and talk. So, Is that why you didn't have any cell phones? Because you wanted them yeah. focusing on each other? Yes, or were there no, other that reasons? was the main issue. Uh, and that's part of the yeah. summer camps Israel policy as well. It's really important. Yeah, I'll just know, by the way, just totally parenthetically, I mean, completely parenthetically, uh, at Shalem College, where I work, we don't allow cell phones in the classroom. You can't text, you can't have it. You just cannot be there. It can be turned off in your bag, and that's yeah. the extent of it. And it makes a huge difference. People are actually focused in, a, in an entirely different way. Every single one of us uses our phones when we shouldn't be yeah. using our phones. Uh, not because we're not interested, it's just become an addiction yeah. at this point. Now, the, the, the Jewish girls speak, I'm assuming, Hebrew, but Correct. not Arabic, yes. right? And the Bedouin girls speak Arabic, but not Hebrew. So they're all Israeli yes. citizens, but they don't actually have a language in common. How did you bridge Well, we that? had uh, leaders that spoke both languages. And some of the Bedouins, a few of them spoke English. Same with the, uh, is the Jewish oh. girls. Um, some of them spoke Hebrew as well, the Bedouin girls. So, How do Bedouin girls know English? That's actually fascinating. They learn it from YouTube, from uh, TV. Uh, you know, one girl, she's learning Korean. A Bedouin girl's learn, learning Korean because she loves this Korean pop band. And she's crazy about this pop band. And that was a fantastic talking point between her and the Jewish girls. So... You know, you're right. They have their cell phones. They do TikTok. They were doing TikTok together. And there's a lot of other common uh, Generation X uh, uh, platforms that they can communicate with. So Now, on the video that you made of the camp, which is, as I said before, we're posting along with this podcast, you can just see the girls completely connecting. And at a certain point in the video, it's impossible to tell who's Bedouin and who's Jewish. I mean, they're completely blended together, which is fabulous. Share with us some of those moments that really stood out for you in this 10-day experience for these girls, where you kind of said, oh, wow, this is exactly what I want to be happening here. Or maybe perhaps the other, that, wow, I did not expect this, and this is actually much more difficult than I anticipated. What were some of the interesting cultural moments that stick out for you? Um, what we had, we invited the Israel Lifesaving Federation to come and teach life-saving skills in the water. And you know, when you talk about life-saving it's like, it's common, you know, people want to save each other and people are scared of the, the water. So, um, you know, that was a lot of fun and it was also uh, you know, a skill that they learnt together. And I think that was uh, really ice-breaking because both the Jewish and the Bedouins had never done anything like this. And um, that was one. And the other thing is that we invited a woman named Shadia, I don't know if you saw the film Shadia, if you look it up, uh, PBS slash Shadia. It's a film that I produced uh, in 2005 about this girl who 
becomes a world karate champion and she is proud to be Israeli but also proud to be Palestinian. Anyway, she came to the camp, we showed the film and then she talked about it and then she gave a lesson. And this is a real empowering women moment where they just saw her as a role model because she was a, an empowered mother and um now when she spoke when she spoke to the girls she's a palestinian israeli did she speak to them in hebrew both, or in arabic both. or she both she spoke in uh, hebrew she presented and also in arabic i mean i'm just thinking as a as a father i mean even though my kids are all long since grown up the idea that you know my kids would go to something and this person who represented Israel with tremendous pride and was teaching them uh, would be an Arab is just a fabulous, fabulous thing. I mean, it just sort of so changes the presumption that it's the Jews teaching the Arabs, it's the Jews trying to bring the Arabs along. Here's this Arab woman who is exceedingly accomplished, who's actually herself trying to inspire the Israeli yes. Jewish kids. Yeah, it's remarkable. Okay, we'll actually post okay. a, a link to the film itself when we post the podcast. I think that's really yeah. super important. What do we know about um, the follow-up with these 50, 40, 50 girls who were together for 10 days? Um, they don't really speak the same language, but they figured out whether it was in Hebrew or English mm. or, in one case, Korean, uh, to how to talk with each other. What do we know about the follow-up? Do they Are they on social media together? Has there been continued contact? Did they kind of just fade back into their communities? Well, and then what plans do you have, if any, to kind of keep... The, com the relationship between these girls going? Uh, well, the answer is yes, yes, yes. They, uh, we are surprised ourselves. <laughs> you know, this young generation love the social media, so they are connecting. Uh, some of them daily, depends on, you know, the, how they connected at the time, but they are, and we do have a follow-up. And how about the Orthodox? Did you, did you didn't have any We didn't have already. Did we you? had uh, Orthodox. But the next year... Right, Next year we will be having... In most cases, yeah, not we, have we have um, one member of the coalition is a Haredi organization that do capoeira. And they have a, a thousand kids, B'nai Barak in Jerusalem, they do capoeira. And they're very open. Uh, and they wanted to, uh, to be part of the camp. Uh, just wasn't enough time and permission. But that will happen. As long as it's girls. Without boys, it's fine. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. By the way, speaking of girls and boys, I was just curious when I we watched the video, of course, and uh, in the life saving part, there are these men yes. that are in the pool with all these young yeah. female teenagers in the Jewish community. That could actually be an issue in the Haredi world. It wasn't an issue at all for the Bedouin girls to have the it's man. It's the, in the same pool with issue, um, but because they were instructors, they weren't like kids. Uh, they were all qualified instructors and. If it comes to instruction and instruction in life saving, uh, it so made, would, it made it workable. So that's interesting. So in that regard, the Bedouin community and the Israeli ultra orthodox community are somewhat similar in Absolutely. those norms about genders and pools and all that kind of stuff. That's fascinating. So and so you're saying the Bedouin girls, they're not on the electric yes. grid which you've already pointed out to us. And you mentioned before a term that some of our listeners may not understand. You said it's an unrecognized mm. village. So I'll just go back and explain uh, that the Israeli government has been trying exceedingly unsuccessfully uh, to move Bedouins into what are called recognized villages that, that, that have been built. They're on, the, they're on the water grid, they're on the electric grid, they're on the sewage grid and all of that. The Bedouins are fairly adamantly not moving into them. 
and they have what are called unrecognized villages. They stay where they are. And the Israeli government, it's a whole complicated political thing, which we won't get into now, uh, but has not put them on the electric grid, on the water grid, and so forth often. So these are girls who are living in a village, you're saying, Danny, who are not on the electric grid, but they are all somehow finding ways of charging their cell phones overnight and staying... Yeah, well, they're using solar. All of them are using solar now. And some of them are thinking... So the, the, uh, the irony is they are planning to sell their solar energy to the grid. <laughs> Think of that. <laughs> they're hilarious. not on the grid, but they're going to provide energy for the, for the grid. So, um, yes, it's all solar now. Um, and they have, like, what, a, a WhatsApp yes. group for all the girls, and some of them are writing in Hebrew, and some yes. of them are writing in Arabic? Yes. Is that how it and, works? And, and, and then I guess if I'm an Israeli Jewish girl and I get a WhatsApp message in Arabic, I just copy it Correct. into Google Translate, figure Correct. out what it means, and respond and yes, paste yeah. back in? One thing that we did to make the parents feel comfortable sending off their girls 10 days and without being in contact was that we had a WhatsApp group with the parents. And... And there uh-huh. we would post photos of the kids just within that group. And that created another level of communicating between parents. And I think that was... That was uh-huh. So now the parents got to be on exactly. the same group with each other also. That's yeah, actually that was important for us and helped. So you were sending out photos in real time, like at the end of day one, at the end of day two, et cetera, et cetera. They could see what was happening actually more or less in Correct. real time with and their And they kids. would comment, which was lovely. <laughs> Yeah, that is great. Really interesting way of bringing the parents in also. What's the plan from here on in? You've done it once. You had 40, 50 kids. They're in touch with each other. What's the plan for the organization in terms of taking this okay. and scaling? So um, we're already we're having a follow-up on the, in December. It's uh, Christmas Day by chance that we're, uh, we uh, were thinking where would they, where would be a good place? And we thought, first of all, um, back to Kfar Silver because they're comfortable with that. They know it. They have good memories. We thought of going to Wingate because it's sports. But the Bedouins insisted that they Jews come to their village. So that's what we're going to do. It's that's amazing. amazing. So we're going that's to amazing. bring them to their village and the Bedouins are going to host them. And it's really going to blow a lot of these girls' minds. And we, we want uh, even some <laughs> of the parents to come as well. Because uh, where is the village relative to, let's say, it's, Beersheba? It's How between far Beersheba and Dimona. Not far. Okay, yeah. so it's not too no. crazy far. I mean, it's not. It, it's a couple hours. It's one of those villages that you pass. You wouldn't time. set your feet in there because it looks so shanty. But it is. Yeah. Right. Right. So you're going to get them all together on Christmas Day, which is all actually very telling. It's not the Jewish holiday or the Bedouin it's, holiday, it but seems nonetheless, to be the most the common get yeah, together. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's all and good. Then, and then what's happening this summer? Are yes, you going to run yes, another but camp? Even in uh, Pesach, in uh, Passover, we're going to have an overnight camp as well. For the same girls no, or for uh, different girls? Girls that want to be um, youth leaders. Uh, what do you call them? Madrichim um, uh, in training. Okay, uh, yeah, uh-huh. so we're having uh, a camp there and we'll be seeing who would be good to be a youth leader for the summer camp and, uh, and a reunion. So that's another follow-up. We didn't want it to be a one-off summer camp. And uh, 
So it's a whole new program in a way. And then this summer you're going to repeat it and have yes, another camp. Yes, yes. We're going right? to have one camp. We're going to double the numbers. So we'll have about 100 girls. And uh, there's also demand to do one in the north, which we're considering another camp at the same time. And what about boys? They are half the population. Now, what are we going to do with them? Any plans to reach out and do Jewish boys yes, and Bedouin yes, boys together also? Yes, there is a plan to do that. Um, definitely. Uh, there's no question that we need to do them. But uh, at the moment, we did the pilot with girls and we want to expand that. And the, the idea of doing this is, is, you know, we were looking for a product that the coalition can do something together. And that's where we came up with this camp. And we're also thinking of doing a one-year program, like a gap year. Yeah. Uh, wow. We're now... Yeah. So... Wow. And also the Middle East Partnership Peace Fund. Okay. Yeah, know, so, but, you know, yeah. this is one of the, I think, products um, that could be funded uh, in the future through USAID, bringing an Israeli and uh, Arab kids together using sport as, the, as a platform. It hits many boxes to... Yeah, it definitely checks off yeah. checks off a lot of boxes. So before we wrap up, I want to just go back to this idea of um, the, the gap year program. So you're talking about a program that would be year-long between high school and, well, army for the yep. Israeli girls, yes. the Jewish girls, um, and high school and either some sort of college or working for the Bedouin girls. The idea is they would yes. spend a year together. The idea is they would... Yeah, That's they would uh, study to be uh, to do this Wingate course to be uh, like sports instructors, and then they would volunteer in the coalition uh, as part of the program. Wow! So that's where we're thinking. Yeah. Wow, it's really unbelievable. I have to say, it's just first of all, it's just it's not a sufficiently well-known story what you're doing and how there is grassroots work between you and many others, by the way, between different kinds of ethnic groups, Jewish and Arab, and many others. And in this day and age, when we're so some of us are so worried about the future of ethnic relations in Israel and elsewhere in the world, to hear about this kind of work is just so heartwarming. I mean, it really does give hope for the future. And you are a person who, for years already, has been, you know, looking around the bend to try to see what can be done to make this place better and uh, warmer and more outreaching. And uh, when I heard this story about the camp, I, I just knew it was something we had to hear more about and tell people about. I'm thrilled that we got a chance to learn about it from you. We'll post it with the video and with the other movie. And uh, Danny, I just want to thank you again, first of all, for your time today, but especially uh, for just being who you are and for doing for Israel what you're doing. Uh, if we could clone you, we would, because uh, you're such a, such an important contribution to the fabric of Israeli life here. So thanks so much for what you do, and thanks so much for telling us your it's story. It's a real pleasure. And I really hope it can grow. And uh, that's the idea, is to upscale it. Because uh, only through really people-to-people yeah. communication looking at each other in the eye, you know, seeing the, the window of the soul, the people start trusting each other. And it's, it's as you know, through politicians, it's not going to happen, and, uh, but it's important from the ground up. Correct. Politics does not usually breed trust, I think exactly. it's fair to say. Uh, and you're right. It's about, it's about trust. And what you're doing is really fostering that. It's making this country infinitely better for who you are and what you do. Can't thank you enough. And I look forward to seeing you in thank person. Thank you, Daniel. Pleasure. Pleasure. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. 
Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.